0: Uh, So welcome to this episode of the Breathe Easy uh, podcast series from the ATS. Uh, Today we're going to be discussing social media uh, for the early career physician and researcher uh, or or both Uh, and joining me today are a panel of discussants who are are very familiar with the social media uh, platforms and I'm going to let let our panel introduce themselves.
1: Uh, Hi, I'm Sarah Asaf, Uh, I'm an assistant professor at the University of uh, New Mexico, and I'm currently the social media editor for the ATS AII assembly.
2: Hi, everybody, I'm Puneet Garcha, I am the medical director of lung transplantation at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, and I've been involved in ATS with uh, social media and medical education uh, in the previous years as
3: well. Hi, I'm Naftali Kaminsky. I'm the chief of pulmonary critical care sleep medicine at Yale. Um, I do a lot of stuff and for me social media is uh, the perfect remedy for my ADHD and constant restlessness.
0: (laughs) I'm uh, Mark Gauthier at the University of Pittsburgh and I'll be uh, moderating today. Uh, So a a big welcome to everyone and and thanks so much for being part of the podcast. Um, So social media is becoming really an an increasingly important uh, and pretty disruptive force in communications, you know, for good or ill, it's really created a a pretty new world, you know, sort of democratized mass communication, where, you know, at least in theory, anyone can reach anyone with the right tools. And so, in addition to, you know, entertainment and news and politics, social media is also increasingly becoming a force, you know, in the medical and research communities. And as a tool, to promote your research, to discover others research, to promote public health, or just ask a question. You know, I think social media and these different platforms is really changing the landscape of how we traditionally communicate with each other in our field and also with folks outside our field. And while there are, I think, some people who take maybe more naturally to these platforms than others, or at least appear to, uh, I think there are a lot of folks who Sort of struggle with how to incorporate social media tools into their careers. You know, should they? You know, they have questions like, should they be on these platforms? If so, which ones? You know, should they mix? You know, kind of personal and professional. You know, posts or, or should they post at all, or just use these platforms as a way for kind of screening uh, the literature for new things that are coming out. And so, I think the goal of today's podcast is really to share some insight on social media with our listeners and. To hear how our panelists have each approached and utilized uh, social media, uh, and some tips that that uh, you guys have on getting started or upping your, your social media presence. Um, and I, I think to start off, uh, maybe we, the best way to start is just to sort of let people know kind of how you came to social media and sort of which platforms you've come uh, come to use and, and prefer to use.
1: Um, I actually started my social media presence relatively recently back in uh, April 2020 for Twitter Um, and it was right after grand round we had in our fellowship Uh, It was about social media and career development and medical education. Um, So I think it was pretty much an eye opener for me of um, how important sometimes these platforms can be used professionally for growth and for, you know, career development. So I use mostly Twitter at a professional level and the other platforms that I use are Facebook um, and Instagrams and they're mostly like personal platforms uh, for me.
3: So for me, um, um, one is uh, I must admit that like I'm I think older than the other participants and I've waited all my life for smartphones and um, social media to appear. It's almost like the moment there was a, a smartphone, I had it and I was really excited to use it. And the moment there was an ability to communicate it with people, this was what I always wanted to do to hear what other people think in a more of a, how would we say it, unmoderated way. So I became, I think I, I was an early user on Facebook and I think Twitter is like 2012 or 2011 that I got interested in it. Um, the other thing again is somebody who is an international medical graduate and has uh, family all over the world. Social media gives me this immediacy of both connecting with friends and family, but also knowing what's going on. Sometimes you get worried something happens. So, so I really love social media. The use, the scientific uh, use of for it emerged a little bit later, I think, uh, and Twitter sort of emerged, and especially I think. Uh, Eric Topol and a few others who sort of basically update you. So the first way I used Twitter was basically to keep myself updated in fields that I don't usually read. Clinical pearls, things that I don't necessarily follow every day. And then I sort of, with the years, we, we developed this community, which is really exciting because it's both about science and business, but also about just reassurance and support of each other.
2: Uh, on the same lines, um, I started off on social media initially with Facebook, but then I signed off Facebook about four years ago, uh, for better or worse. So I haven't logged onto Facebook uh, for many years now. I was on Twitter for more than 10 years, but I never kind of used it. I was just hanging out over there. Then I started following my sports teams and getting news events from here and there and then realized the medical community got really active on it. And then it became a platform for me to connect with multiple colleagues across, across institutions, across countries, and across continents. As Dr. Kaminsky just mentioned, um, it has been an amazing experience because I've been able to actually reach out to colleagues uh, over uh, and starting uh, collaborative projects, which have actually led to a research projects and actually publications uh, with folks that who. Just shared the love of social media and um, were, had common interests, and we were on the same platform and, and met through ATS, and uh, were able to publish our findings and stuff. Uh, other platforms that I'm on and uh, is uh, Instagram, which I just use very for uh, personal use, uh, as Dr. Asif mentioned, and I also use LinkedIn, and LinkedIn I think is a platform, which is very underutilized in the medical community. The business folks use LinkedIn in a much better fashion and harness the whole power of LinkedIn. Having recently finished my MBA, I was introduced to the full breadth of LinkedIn during one of our business school classes and I was like, wow, there's a lot that's going on over there and uh, you're able to connect to a lot of people in and across the industry in LinkedIn. So yeah, those are my four, uh, three platforms that I use. And it's been very interesting. And currently I, um, over the past year I, or past two years, I kind of thought I was uh, becoming, it was becoming a time sink for me. So I deleted the apps from my phone. So I only log in when I'm on my desktop, either at work or uh, at home. So I'm not in that constant scroll mode and it becomes a time sink otherwise.
0: That's probably a smart idea. So uh, I'll say that I, I, I think similar to, uh, to you all, I definitely am on, on Facebook, really more for sort of personal uh, posts there. And I've used Twitter you know, kind of more professionally, but um, I'll admit that I, I sort of you know, similarly have, have used it up to this point primarily to, to just sort of follow you know, different, uh, different topics of, of interest. Don't really post a lot or generate a lot of content, um, which I think is is true for a lot of a lot of folks. how how do you apo- approach uh, posting or generating content, you know, for these platforms and you know creating you know, or or driving some of these interactions, you know, on these platforms. You know, is there certain things you like to to post or certain ways you approach it? You know, a target audience you're trying to reach. Do you ever mix, you know, kind of personal and professional posts in the same platform or or do you really keep them more separate or so what's what's your approach to to generating content for these platforms.
1: Um, I think, Mark, as you said, uh, for my personal Twitter account, uh, it's mostly there to follow uh, people and, you know, things that are areas of my interest and to be more up to date uh, with, you know, my field and sometimes things outside of the field. Um, But I think once I started on the ATS AII with with being, you know, the the social media editor, it it was definitely a learning curve because now uh, not only I have to generate uh, the content and I have to be able to tweet about it uh, to be consistent also, um, you know, about tweeting. So definitely it was important one to, to have to create the content for our assembly members as well as you know, to be engaging for other people um, and to have more of uh, people following us and um, benefiting from from that content. So um, it may be more up to date, reading things related to, let's say, inflammatory airway diseases or genetics or immunology, and then learning how to review it so that I'm able to to know what is worth to be to be shared and um, also how to share it in a manner that can be one engaging and two, you know, help people, our audience to retain that information um, and to, you know, um, to see our um, our handle as something that they can follow regularly uh, to have more, more information or the, the latest about all the publications or webinars or podcasts or journal clubs related, you know, to allergy, immunology and to inflammation. So it was a different approach. Uh, one is where I'm generating the content, one where I'm mostly Um, more passive maybe and just uh, trying to to follow things that are uh, related to to pulmonary and critical care and sometimes things that are completely outside of the field.
3: Yeah you know uh, for me actually these mechanized terms are really triggers so I don't consider myself a content generator and I don't consider myself a provider you know I consider myself as an academic physician with opinions about stuff. And um, I really try to avoid the the notion that I have to generate something. The other thing, and I tell it to a lot of, you know, early career faculty or fellows, they'll ask how do I, do I need to get involved in social media? And my answer is really simple. Again, academic or not so simple. Academic life is really hard. We do a lot of things. The last thing we need is another thing we should do. So you should use, use social media if you enjoy it and if it really fulfills something, a need for you, right? To communicate, to do things. So I, I am actually a little bit strategic because somebody who really enjoys these things, I could spend all my time on the social media. So what I do is I have limits during the workday. I have no notification as we discussed. I have like 20 minutes every few hours, I, but I have, things that i do so one is promote good science so papers that i encounter and i think are really interesting second i am a team member so when the american thoracic society has a campaign i'll amplify it or when yale has a campaign i'll amplify third is stuff that i want to say right if yesterday i was sitting uh watching a beautiful sunset and kept thinking about work and then suddenly said okay there's nothing wrong with sitting and watching a sunset but actually thinking about work it's okay and then this sort of small notion i actually post about it and then some people contacted me interestingly some people send me personal messages about to say oh this was just seeing the view and you telling us it's okay to think about work sometimes you don't have to fight." is helping them so that's sort of my personal thought. And then every now and then I will post about issues that have a political meaning because I think that physician scientists have left too long the world to people who decide about policy without a scientific or moral basis. So every now and then I'll post something that may be even controversial. But again, it's not generating content, it's stating an opinion and a position as a physician scientist. What I would add to that,
2: my goal is generally when I'm posting is to be focusing on quality, not the quantity uh, of the content. You don't need to be caught up on that. You need to put out two tweets or two posts a day or three. And second piece of advice I would have is do not focus on your follower count. Uh, So some people get trapped into that. Hey, I have X amount of followers or this and that you don't need to be in that race. So uh, enjoy your social media experience. It should not become, as Dr. Kaminsky said, just an, another chore adding to the stress of your already busy lives. So um, I look at it that way.
3: Just just to add, so like, even now, there's a really cool discussion about, um, which is completely speculative, what would be the long complications, long-term complications of COVID-19, right? And it's, it's so much fun because you have, uh, you know, Gisli Jenkins and Leticia Kawano and Kerry Johnson and Puja Mehta, each one of us is really in a different continent, right? And we're speaking in the Jeff Horvitz and a few others. Um, and people are just throwing in thoughts. And that's actually an interaction that we used to have many years ago when academic medicine was smaller. That's the way you would speak when you are attending and you would ask a question and they would speculate, but now we don't have the time to do it and rounds in hospital and work is really busy. So actually having these small, almost like somebody throws a stone in a pool and you have the waves and it's really exciting and inspiring.
0: I, I really, that's the kind of things I really enjoy and sort of, they really drive me. That's a great point. It's it's really exciting to be able to, you know, talk and collaborate, you know, just have these discussions you know, outside of you know, big meetings or, or conferences, you know, at any time and sort of on any topic, you know, which is which is really exciting. One of the things that always makes me, you know, and I see a great and I'll, I'll retweet some things sometimes that I think they're they're interesting. But one of the things that I think, at least for me, and, and maybe true for other folks, um, that makes me always hesitant to post a comment or, or really write something that I, I think about writing that I'm like, ah, I'm just worried someone's gonna. Someone's going to comment on this negatively, or you know, this is going to create a whole, you know, a whole scene, if you will. And we know there are, there are people who are are sort of on these platforms really just to, to stir up trouble for for lack of a better term. How how have you each sort of approached when you you know, have you know, people who are, you know, negatively posting and not in in a like, you know, you know what I mean, in a negative way. You know, people who are, who are there really just to, to try to cause problems, you know, and sort of trolling. How have, how have you all approached that? And is that a problem that you've run into?
3: So, so I guess I probably have the most because I'm probably making most, a lot of noise. I sort of split them into three types of reactions. One is when a member of our community responds in a negative way, which is a little bit inappropriate. Right? Sometimes somebody will say, oh, this paper sucks. And this is of course, not what we want, If we discuss papers publicly. The last thing you want is to insult the authors, right? So sometimes the simplest way is just DM the person and say, I don't think that that's the way you should communicate it. You know, people have done it to me, especially in the early days that I wouldn't pay attention. And I would say, okay, I you know, make a comment about the statistical analysis, which sort of undermines the paper. And especially in the early days with RCMB, we did the Twitter, Uh, Journal Club, I think we fell a few times into this hypercritical mode, so it's almost like many of us help each other and say, pay attention, you don't want to say that, oh, say it in a positive way. So that's an easy way, and I think that's where we all sort of help each other not to be too negative. The second is the bots and the trolls. And I think one of our experiences was uh, during the vaping-associated lung injury that the vaping community was extremely, and I, I think there were definitely ser- certain bots. They had the s- same pattern of communication like the anti vexers And my approach was, and I instructed everybody, uh, um, there was one of my faculty, Steve Baldassari, that was attacked, because there's, and a few others. It's basically just block, don't engage, don't waste your time. And that's again, where the senior people, sometimes if you notice something like this is happening, you can comment. Uh, and DMing, DMing is really helpful. The third, which has been an issue during the last three or four years, is actually the patient community. I was in very strong opposition to many of the policies of the previous administration. And some of my patients said, you know, we follow you for idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, not for your opinions about the person in the White House. And um, that's a little bit harder because you don't wanna block your patients. You wanna maintain communication. And I'm actually so happy that I was able to maintain communication with some of the patient advocates because when COVID-19 started, I could maintain the same relationship, the same open view and convince them to put masks on and more recently to vaccinate. with the patient community, it's really, it's hard. And I'm not sure that we ever even have guidelines, right? Nobody teaches us how to communicate with patients in general on social media. Five years ago, I had a patient that publicly on Twitter, uh, no, on Facebook, announced that she was not gonna have a lung transplant and she was gonna take positive care. And so, sort of inciting my name, tagging me and it's, you know, you don't really know what to do with this. This is really painful. This was a patient I actually thought had a chance if she had transplant. So I'm not sure that that's an easy way. What you have to do is not respond immediately. The most important thing, there's no urgency because you can read the tweet or the post a few times. You can ask somebody else, is it insulting? Is it fair And how to respond this? Because again, keeping the communication communication with the patient populations is really important. And every now and then even break the boundaries and communicate with the person personally and say, is there a specific reason that you're communicating with me this way, maybe we should speak. Um, Again, the community, the IPF community, the fibrosis community in general is relatively small. And the connection with the patient advocates is really important you you actually save lives if you maintain this contact i'm sure it's true for others so so i, so I look at it as a sort of the, th- the three layers which is those among us to sort of misbehave which we should communicate and work on that the professional bots or the trolls you just block them you don't need to see them you don't need to answer them and the patient communities which we need to, in some ways, almost like develop guidelines how to address it and the best practice.
1: Um, I think great advice from Dr. Kaminski, and probably nothing to add. You know, from from a senior person having this experience. Um, sometimes I think that the the comments can be though like a constructive. Um, I remember an instant where um, we shared a wrong link and uh, we got a, you know, a comment uh, with the right link to, uh, so that can help sometimes uh, in a constructive way. But uh, I think overall the focus is not to alienate any of your uh, audience, especially if it's patient communities and uh, might be sometimes used as a way to, you know, counter any misinformation and try not to be involved in any argumentative way. Because um, I don't think that's the reason of why we're there.
2: And I also think uh, these things can escalate very quickly. So with Dr. Uh, Kaminsky's point that you don't have to be replying to everything right away. Just take your time, let things settle down, absorb, um, and use the apps and platforms to their advantage. I mean, you can turn off comments on your tweet or posts and whatnot. So, um, and obviously, I do not engage in uh, with any negative uh, Folks on uh, online because there's no winning, it just goes downhill from there on. So it's just better to deflect, uh, in my opinion.
3: I think with the pulmonary fibrosis community, what I saw during the beginning of the pandemic, they got misinformation like everybody else, right? So they all wanted to take hydroxychloroquine and uh, zitromycin preventively at home and things like this. So it was actually really important to engage. And so I'm in several of these Facebook groups and every now and then somebody attacks you in a really unpleasant way. But the whole idea is exactly not respond, deflect deflect this sort of attack and keep being focused on the science, hoping that the the patients and their families uh, listen to you. And I think there's, there's quite a few of us that do it very well. Uh, and I think the groups really appreciate it even if don't, they don't necessarily agree with some things that you say. They appreciate that you are there for them and, uh, and that you don't pretend to be better than them in some ways.
0: That's great advice all around. Um, I wonder if you know, folks can, I think I, I sort of know the answer to this from, from most of our panelists, or at least I have, have a suspicion, but do, do any of you have, because I've gotten this advice before, like separate things or separate handles for like professional posting or or versus kind of personal posting, or do you just kind of have everything on one handle and maybe focus more with, with the different platforms? I
2: personally don't have a separate professional and Personal uh, handles. I do separate my uh, uh, social media platforms. Like uh, earlier it was mentioned that I use uh, Instagram for personal use, and I think some of the other panelists mentioned that you know, Facebook, Instagram for personal stuff. I use uh, Twitter and LinkedIn just for professional posts, nothing else. I do find it can be a, a quite a fine line between personal and professional stuff for changing your logins and this and that and. Uh, they're fine examples of uh, sports persons having burner accounts and then being called out on uh, social media uh, for going after their followers. Uh, so, yeah, I, I personally don't have two accounts.
3: Yeah, I, I don't have either. Um, so, I use Twitter mostly professionally. So, I wouldn't put like family photos there. But it's a it's a wide definition of of professional. So, some things are going to be like you know, personal in some ways, like the hashtag PCCM eats dedicated to food made by pulmonary critical care and sleep physicians. So I've, I've seen it more a way of fighting burnout. We create a community and we share dishes. Um, I use Facebook mostly for family and Instagram sort of random stuff. I do have access to several other professional accounts Uh, Because that's what happens if you have a role in an assembly or in your um, institutions. Uh, But there I serve as a backup if somebody else is on vacation or the admin was in charge. I try not to use them exactly because I don't want to have the confusion of logging in and logging out, making a mistake. And these things happen. But, but I, again, I think there's a message that's important for the community, our community, which is that we all are not just our professional identity. It's a whole package. It's the person who cares about the environment and human rights and sick people and their parents. This is dope. is exactly the same person that is rounding uh, the So I think actually the separation is probably hurting our communities or the, the, the historical separation is the position doesn't have a big issue and had a detrimental effect on work-life balance and Yeah,
1: I think as Dr. Kaminsky said that separation sometimes is hard. So I only have one handle, one uh, like account. I mostly um, have professional uh, tweets, um, but sometimes it's hard to dissociate from things, you know, that are happening around you. Um, mostly also, you know, being an IMG coming from Lebanon, sometimes I do have uh, posts about things um, that are happening um, in my country or elsewhere, uh, but I tend to mostly use Facebook more than Twitter for for this.
3: Yeah, that's, I agree that sometimes I have to think because I get really mad and, or I say, I have to say something because people have to know that people have different opinions, right? But then sometimes I say, I can wait 10 minutes or 20 minutes and maybe write it slightly more politely or just maybe retweet somebody else is amplifying a message. But uh, I think that's where the, the balance is harder when sort of things are happening.
0: Yeah, those, those are great points. And then I will certainly say when, when scrolling through a, a newsfeed, it is it is often nice and refreshing to see a mix of things, you know, from folks. And I you mentioned the uh, PCCM Eats hashtag, which which I always appreciate scrolling past one of those. But, but it, it, it adds a, thank you, to your point, it adds a human component and emphasizes that, you know, these aren't the account posting to just, you know, promote your research or just to do, um, you know, repost guidelines or things like that, but that there's more to that, you know, if, if that's what you want to be you yeah, I think in terms of, of what you want to put on there. So, so I think we, we've talked a lot about, you know, there, there are clearly a lot of benefits, you know, to these, to the social media platforms and they, they kind of each have their own nuances, but I think one of the biggest benefits has been the connectivity. Like we've, we've talked about, you know, the ability to, you know, interact with people in real time who are, you know, in different, you know, different towns, different states, different countries, um, you know, the ability to have, you know, asynchronous communication to be able to post and and have someone be able to comment it, you know, a couple hours later and have these sort of discussions like that. And it's a really powerful tool for engagement. In your opinion, as you've seen these, you know, social media, especially in the last couple of years, you know, kind of change some of the communication landscape in, in, you know, in the medical fields, in research, are there downsides, you know, to, that you've seen or things that you're worried about as social media progresses, you know, that we have to be careful of, you know, with these platforms or things you're concerned may may develop over time.
1: Um, I think any message that gets through social media gets um, disseminated very quickly and uh, reaches, you know, it's amplified. It's reaching a lot of people. So the accuracy rate right, of this message um um, especially for research, um, you know, you want to make sure that the value of whatever is being shared over there, something that is peer-reviewed, is something uh, where maybe um, any conflict of interest are mentioned in, in, a, in a you know clear way to the audience. Because not all the audience will be, um, you know, people who are going to be critically able to review this this content. Um, so this content, so you have to make sure whatever you know is going to be disseminated in the future. Is having is carrying value and accuracy to it, and maybe that check is hard to make uh, through social media, uh, in comparison, you know, to the old traditional ways. I, I think
3: I, I think that makes a. It's actually a really good question. So, for instance, uh, we don't really post our conflicts of interest documents when we when we tweet about something, and um, so I think that's an interesting question that I didn't think about. The other, I think it's the temptation of sort of being a uh, I'm making air quotes, uh, an influencer, right? You know, there's a strategy to get more likes and follows, and the strategy is to be controversial, right? If you pick up a fight, people will notice you, and that goes against everything that is really good in med Twitter or in academic social media, but this this is a temptation and I think we've seen it during this pandemic that people got a little bit uh, blinded by uh, uh, sort of public appeal. So I think that there is a risk there. I do feel that home and academic care is a relatively, I don't know how to say it, we're less in the front lines in terms of media than potentially other fields we don't have sort of The celebrity cardiologist or neurosurgeon or something like this. I think the personalities are different, but I think the biggest risk is going after the the superficial and um, tension seeking elements. And and there is a risk with, I think with, actually both with senior and earlier career people that they, again, confuse interaction, reaction and input uh which are good with sort of just um, random noise that's probably not good for you in the long run. the other risk is that if social media becomes another check mark right another thing that we do for our career like it's really important that we don't make our interactions being uh, mandated
2: a requirement what i would add to that is like with any other electronic communication forms once you hit send it's never coming back so just be thoughtful give it take a pause take a second review it before you are you really sure you want to post this before you do and
0: then hit send or post those are great points and yeah i think it's it's definitely it's, to your point Seth, that we have to be careful about that this isn't going to be the expectation that you're going to have a twitter handle to promote promote your paper um, you know, when, when it comes out, that's going to be its sole, sole function or, or or part of those metrics. As as we're kind of wrapping up here, I wonder if, you know, each of you or each of our panelists have just some final general words of advice for, you know, kind of early career, you know, positions and researchers who are looking to utilize social media platforms or, or interested in getting, you know, again, uh, getting more involved in a platform or some, some sort of parting words of wisdom, uh, if you will.
1: Um, try to be involved and to try it and see if you're gonna you know, um, like it, um, if you can create a niche or grow a niche out there. And I think always remember that it's not something that it would be permanently binding. So if you do not like it, you can just stop using it. But I think it's, it's worth it to, to you know, be out there, um, be involved, um, and with time, you know, that experience I think will be refined because definitely now compared to a year ago, um, I think I'm better able to use it, um, in a more balanced way and a, in a way that it is more, um, beneficial to me.
2: I would say start small, um, build a crew of your own, uh, peeps that you trust a raft maybe, uh, and then, uh, gain more experience on it, uh, before you, become super active on it. That's my two cents. Basically, this is a
3: thing that should make you feel better. Will extend your community, but it may be actually better to do it in a more, some of the social media community, it may be better to do it actually in a more um, community-based. So actually the, the ATS assemblies and the web committees is a good way because then you get to to do other things in areas you're interested in, but also get to know people because medical Twitter, especially the pulmonary Twitter, is the great equalizer. At least my experiences. Uh, I know now people who apply to fellowship in pulmonary just because I've interacted with them in Twitter. I recognize the name. Sometimes it's not even that they they don't even know that I saw something that they said. Right, so it's. So if you can work through your assemblies, creating your community, interact with these people, create this something, it's just an extension of your uh, uh, professional family and then it's a lot of fun.
0: All right, well, thank you everybody for, for uh, joining us today, um, being part of the panel. I really appreciate it and uh, hopefully our listeners appreciate it too. And, and thank you uh, as well as the listeners for taking time to listen to this podcast. You know, we hope you found it engaging and enlightening and really encourages you to uh, uh, dust off that Twitter account or, or, or see what's out there um, and get some experience. So uh, thank you all for listening. And uh, if you want to, to continue the discussion, you can uh, head over to Doc Matters uh, in the AII group where we're going to uh, have a, a discussion going where you can share your own experiences of social media and some tips and tricks that you picked up along the way. All right, Thank you, everybody.